everybody it's been a while been a while good to be back so I wanted to do a podcast today on a topic around hardball and competitiveness in the world of business now uh, a few weeks ago I did a book review on a on a very interesting book that not a lot of people have heard of called hardball are you playing to play or playing to win by George Stock and Rob Lackenauer. Now the book is uh, very interesting. These two guys have uh, been strategists for about 30 years uh, and worked for the Boston Consulting Group. Put together this book about how do companies actually compete. And when I say compete, it's not uh, sort of a fluffy, oh, we make ourselves different. I'm speaking about how do you actually play hardball with competitors. And I want to get 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 into that and sort of expand more on it. So here goes. So let's start with the first thing. A competitive advantage, which is what many of us think of when we think about uh, playing hardball, is no longer enough to just win in business, right? We live in a very uh, competitive world, especially with the internet and, and digital technologies. Plus, we live very much in a global economy. So you have to be willing to play hardball. And in 2004, uh, these two strategists, uh, George Stock and Rob Lackenauer, they published this book to talk about that. So when companies play hardball, it means that they use every legitimate resource and strategy that's available to them to gain an advantage over their competitors. Now, they can use a decisive advantage to bring about a fundamental change to an entire industry. And then by doing that, put their competitors in a very reactive position causing them and their partners and suppliers to make adjustments, not only theirs, but also your own, and start allowing you to deliver so much more value to your customers that the market share that you're trying to get after ends up growing in your favor. This is really about winning and, and winning beyond, uh, beyond measure. Uh, you know, you're not trying to get a two to one squeaker, but you're trying to win nine to two, 10 to two, 20 to two, you know. Now, uh, Milton Friedman wrote a book called Capitalism and Freedom. Freedom, And in the book, he has this quote where he says, there's one and only one social responsibility of business, to use its resources and engage in activities designed to increase its profits, so long as it stays within the rules of the game, which is to say, engages in open and free competition without deception or fraud, right? And so Bruce Henderson, uh, many of you may recognize that name, that was the founder of the Boston Consulting Group. He really agreed with this uh, concept that um, Friedman wrote in his book, but he placed an even greater emphasis on the importance of competition, right? And so a lot of the uh, culture that you'd see in Boston Consulting Group follows that. Now the book, uh, uh, Hardball, uh, follows in the tradition of Bruce uh, Milton and, and those who believe it's, it's that, the, that the function of companies is to compete as hard as possible to gain customers and profits. So you have two choices. Either you play softball, which means you have a non-strategic way to get society uh, to bend its rules and hobble on your way to success, or you seek out the chinks in the armor of hardball players that you're competing against to change the rules of the game into your favor. So business, just like life, goes on like a never-ending cycle of achieving an advantage, uh, hitting obstacles, facing threats, 
um, from competition, even if you're just an individual. I mean, think about what the last time you applied for a job, right? It's the same thing. And so when you are hit with these challenges and opportunities, you find ways to adjust you know, to them. So hardball is not just about very extreme executive behavior. That's what people think when I say hardball. But it's, you know, it's about playing um, within the lines of legality, right? Doing, doing things and playing competitively and hard, but within uh, the lines that are uh, ethical and moral and legal. Um, and it's not even about being mean. It's about creating discomfort in others around you in, in the market and then tolerating that discomfort yourself. So hardball is definitely a team sport and the best companies are teams, they're not families. And this is something that I uh, very much uh, embrace in, in this concept. You know, when I work within a team or a company, I very much see it as a team and not a family. Right, and that means that you hold each other to a very high standard that comes with consequences when they're not achieved. Right, so hardball is played really by those who are brave and not those who are boastful. So, let's get into it. Here are the five principles of hardball. Principle number one: focus relentlessly on competitive advantage. Now, business is full of companies who let their competitive advantage either uh, slowly wither away or they don't even have one. Hardball players strive to continually widen the performance gap between themselves and competitors. They're not just satisfied with today's competitive advantage, what they want is tomorrow's. So in doing that, you relentlessly pursue competitive advantage and create a virtuous cycle that continually strengthens it. So let's look at Walmart, for example. Walmart had a uh, distribution system that reduced transportation costs, it increased inventory returns, and, and it gave it a massive edge, right? So then it went to everyday low prices. So that way they were able to stabilize demand and then they further reduced costs and then they built up volume. After doing that, they started to leverage their huge sales value to gain influence over shipments from suppliers and start dictating merchandising and product mix. That way they reduce prices even more and then they can even add more to their volume, right? And they continue to do this and tighten the bolts on their system. It's no wonder that one of the highest grossing uh, revenue companies in the world is Walmart. A lot of people talk about how Amazon's making a lot of money. Believe it or not, the Wall Street Journal published a chart a few about a year ago comparing the North American revenue of Walmart to Amazon and Walmart's revenue for the last 10 years is almost threefold that of Amazon. Principle number two, strive to convert competitive advantage into decisive advantage. Now what does that mean, decisive advantage? Now unlike an old competitive advantage, which can be very fleeting, right? It can wither away. A decisive advantage puts you completely out of reach of your competitors. It is systemically reinforcing. And, and let me explain that. The better you get at it, the harder it is for competitors to compete against it or at least take it away. So for example, as you get bigger than your competitors, your costs start to go down even more and that enables you to increase your market share if you do it the right way. Great example of this, Toyota. So Toyota's decisive advantage essentially is superior production system, right? And having this production system, which many of us have used, we just don't know it's Toyota, right? 
This enabled it to grow from 5% of the market in 1980 to 11% in 2004. And their market share has gone down because we've had new entrants into the market, but it went down to 9% due to, due to these new entrants. But they're still the largest in the world at 9.46% this past year, with Volkswagen being number two. Principle number three, they employ the indirect attack. That's right, indirect. So hardball players often avoid direct confrontation with competitors, and I know what you're thinking, that that might be opposite of what you're expecting for a hardball player. So this, even though this sounds counterintuitive, here's the thing. You might assume that a hardball player would take a very aggressive in-your-face approach, but let's look at military history for you as a great example for strategy. Military history shows that the most decisive victories have been won through, that's right, the indirect attack. Now, a military historian, B.H. Little Hart, writes, quote, it is by far the most hopeful and economic form of strategy is to take the indirect attack. So let's look at an example in the business world, Southwest Airlines. So Southwest Airlines did this by not competing head-to-head -head with major airlines at the biggest city hubs where all the majors were strongest, right? They decided they're gonna build up operations in secondary airports. For example, uh, for Washington DC, they started uh, operations from the Baltimore Washington Airport, which is now the third largest uh, in the region, okay? Uh, great, another great example, let's go back to Walmart. When Walmart came out, they didn't go straight into these metropolitan cities like New York, uh, Los Angeles, Boston to directly compete with their competitors. They went out to the rural areas and they picked off these rural towns where nothing was around. They owned the market there. They owned their brand was, was the brand to know. And little by little, they start to engulf these larger metropolitan areas. The final principle, principle number five, they draw a bright line in the caution zone. So what's a caution zone? Well, for hardball players, the caution zone is that area that is rich in possibility, but lies between the place where society and the business world clearly says you can play the game of business and the place where society and business clearly say you cannot. So, Although the bright line that separates there's a bright line that separates uh, legal activity from illegal activity, um, that's relatively easy to see, but not always. The boundary that's between what is morally and socially acceptable in business practice from what is intolerable and shameful is, is actually a lot harder to define. So to do that, there are a few questions you have to ask yourself, and this makes it easier to recognize your caution zone. So here are those questions. Number one, will this proposed action break any laws? Number two, is the proposed action good for the customer? Number three, will competitors be directly hurt by an action? So let me, let me expand on that for a second. If you put your competitors in situations where they can inflict damage on themselves, this is completely acceptable. For example, uh, finding a way to entice a rival to invest in an area that they have absolutely no hope in winning, right? But overtly hurting a competitor by say, buying a key supplier and then cutting off your, your rival, even, even though the move is legal, that will actually win you more, the, more of wrath from your 
from your rivals uh, than 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 actually the business that you're going to be gaining from it. It's not worth it. The last you have enough to focus on to to win and 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 dominate the market. Don't create an enemy more than you already have with your rivals. And the last the last two questions would be: Will an action hit a nerve with a special interest group in any way that might damage the company? And will the action provoke a positive change? So. With these principles in mind, and, and well, with those questions in mind, you can you can define the caution zone, and then more so with the principles that I've just laid out. These five principles. There are many strategies again in this in in the book in the hardball playbook, right? But there are a handful of classic hardball strategies that have proved over and over again throughout the decades to be particularly eff- uh, effective in generating a competitive advantage and are the ones that uh, Stock and Lackenbauer describe in their book. Now that we have those principles in mind, let me give you a couple of hardball strategies you can actually take action on. So let's start at the very beginning. I think you're gonna enjoy these. So unleash massive and overwhelming force. This must be deployed with, you know, with swiftness and very much like the blow of a hammer. It has to be accurate, direct, and very swift. So it must not be used until the company is ready to pull all its energy behind it. So the company must also be certain that the competitive advantages it believes it has is actually available for action. Right? So if you have an area of business that you're going to focus on, a new business vertical, make sure you have a true competitive advantage and then focus a lot of energy into it. Right? And again, think of it like a hammer. you got to be accurate, direct, and swift. Your, comp- your competition is not going to have time to react, and then you'll own that area. Exploit anomalies. Now, this one I, I personally like quite a lot, and here's why. Sometimes a growth opportunity for your company actually lies in some weird hidden phenomenon that, at first glance, it seems maybe irrelevant to your business or even contradictory to your practice. But things like uh, very unique idiosyncratic customer preferences, uh, unexpected employee behaviors, or odds insights from another industry can show a new competitive advantage, even a decisive advantage for you. Now, softball players, they want to ignore these anomalies because they don't necessarily conform to standard practice. They don't have a label or they fit in a box. But the key to exploiting an anomaly is to expand from it a rare and isolated instance and apply it to a very large volume of customers. Let's look at uh, Netflix, for example. Back in 2012 or 2013, they decided, hey, we, we need to start creating our own content. So where do they start? They decided to make House of Cards and they spent I think one or two million dollars they invested in that for a few seasons um, just to get started. And they did that with very, very little. They actually didn't even see, I think, a script for it. It was something they, they made the decision, you know, uh, without the, uh, the traditional manner that you make a decision on those types of scripts. And here's what they did they looked at their data and they noticed that their uh, Netflix subscribers liked two things they loved Kevin Spacey uh, movies. And they loved uh, things that are, you know, based in politics. So they said, hey, let's get Kevin Spacey as the lead and do a political show. 
and that show went on to win multiple uh, uh, awards and, and of course bring in a lot more subscribers and bring in a lot of revenue for Netflix. Threaten your competitors' profit sanctuaries. And I know a lot of you are going to enjoy this one. So this is where a company makes probably the most money and steadily accumulates wealth. Very much like a bear storing up fat for the winter. So sometimes a hardball player can gain a competitive advantage just by attacking a competitor's profit sanctuaries. So this is a very good retaliatory stat strategy. If your competitor, let's just say, starts pushing into any of your territories, you respond by attacking his plump underbelly. And I'm quoting this actually from the book. <laughs> he, you know, uh, you, you, you do that and they're gonna get the message really quickly, right? So this is also a very risky strategy, I have to say, and here's why. It can take you deep into the caution zone. So for one, consider the legal and moral uh, merits of what you're about to do. But also your competitor is likely to also retaliate by attacking, you guessed it, your profit sanctuaries. And they might actually have greater financial resources than you thought. You know, for example, they might have an investor waiting and they say, hey, here's a great time for you to invest. We're about to attack our competitor's uh, profit sanctuary, so we need the money. So when you decide to, as the book says, go and gut the bear, it's probably a good idea to bring legal counsel along for the hunt. Take it and make it your own. Now, softball players like to think that their bright ideas are very sacred. Specifically, and I can say this with a lot of confidence, your marketers. I hate to say this. Marketers, we tend to love our ideas. Now, hardball players, they know better than this. They are willing to take any good idea they see legally and use it to create a competitive advantage for themselves. Um, Harry B. Cunningham, who created Kmart, admired Sam Walton, who was the founder of, of Walmart, and said that Sam and this is, I'm quoting this, not only copied our concepts, he strengthened them. Strengthened them. So Sam Walton was even known um, to do just crazy things. I heard of a story that one time he was in Brazil and I think he got uh, uh, arrested by the police. And when he was bailed out, they asked the police, why did you arrest this guy? And they said, well, we thought he was crazy. He was in one of our uh, major grocery store chains, and again, this is down in South America, and he was on the floor measuring the distance between the aisles, right? So some people um, pull back when they hear this, and they, they say, hey, that, you know, I, we don't want to be copycats. We're not going to copy what our competitors are doing because that's going to you know, say that they have great ideas. You, you got to get over this. So um, let's just you know think of it like this. If Steve's jobs was really embarrassed about copying the graphical user interface he saw at Xerox Park, then would Apple ever become what it is today? And for many of you, you may have not known, known that. Steve Jobs copied the graphical user interface that we all know and use today from Xerox back in the day. Right? What about Kichori uh, Toyota, the founder of Toyota? What, if he hadn't learned the just-in-time production techniques that he saw at Ford, Toyota would have never surpassed its rivals in the 1950s and then continue on to lead the global market. Get over yourself. If you see a good idea, take it, make it better, make it your own.
entice your competitor into retreat. Now, enticing your competitors towards a business that drives up their costs is probably one of the most complex and devilish strategies of any hardball player. It really works best when you're in complex business environments where the costs can be very easily misallocated. So let's go through a few of those. You can break companies. So when a hardball player wants to achieve explosive growth, you look for a compromise to break. A compromise is a concession that an industry forces on its customers who often accept it because they you know, they just come to believe that this is the way things are done and that this is just how things work. When you find a new and better way to do business, your competitors will really suffer as they hold on to the old way even tighter as you're conditioning the market towards a new way. Look, Mark Benioff did this with uh, the SaaS industry when he got um, uh, enterprise and B2B companies to realize that they can run uh, these uh, uh, SaaS products with no software. They didn't have to buy any clunky software, right? All right, now let's put these into practice and take the field with these uh, principles and strategies. So although these rules can really be applied in every industry, the companies that are most successful with these strategies are in industries where there's significant cost and capability advantages that can be established. So whatever industry you play in, a hardball competitor cannot expect to sit back and just bask in the leadership position for long without being attacked. That's what makes a hardball player and hardball probably the toughest game in the world. Don't try to play if your management practices are sloppy. You have to be disciplined and you have to execute. So don't expect to stay on the field for long if you don't keep the edge sharp by constantly increasing your knowledge. That's why hardball is a team sport. Just like the old saying goes, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The best companies are teams. They're not families. You hold each other to a high standard and that comes with consequences when they're not achieved. So, with that being said, you need a network of customers, suppliers, employees, and advisors that you can trust to tell you the truth. Again, iron sharpens iron. The world of hardball is played by the brave, not the boastful. Now, with the right mindset, you too can start building towards decisive victories in the market and then continue to rack up the points. So, go play ball. Hey everybody, thanks again for listening once more to Mindloom with Omar M. Khatib. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to my podcast. And if you'd like to see these book reviews, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, uh, just look for Omar M. Khatib, and then check out my YouTube channel, Mind Loom with Omar M. Khatib. I do book reviews every week, and I'll be doing uh, some more in-depth uh, summaries and reviews soon. So, I'll see you next time. Yeah.